genre. back to Spider-Man Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze and celebrate Spider-Man 3 one movie montage minute at a time. I'm Zach Luna. I'm Scott Corelli. And today we are tackling minute two of Spider-Man 3, which is the one that begins with uh, Kirsten Dunst's credit popping up on screen Mm -hmm. and ends with uh, Elizabeth Banks and Ted Raimi Mm -hmm. popping up on screen. Um, This is all, all actors and all uh, movie movie footage time. Yep. The, the greatest hits montage. From anymore. from the first Spider-Man film. Right, yeah. yeah. Which is... <laughs> it, it, it literally, we just rewatched the first Spider-Man movie in, within this minute. <laughs> just sort of sit and re- be reminded of those photos and people's young faces and the cars and the spider bite, all that good stuff. Yep. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting how the, the timing worked out that way, that it's just first foot, first movie footage and... Today's a minute, and we'll get to second movie footage tomorrow, yeah. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's um, interesting. Interesting yeah. way to do it. Uh, yeah, so um, lots, of, uh, lots of actors and things to talk about uh, in this minute, but I think the first thing that we should talk about is the development of this film. Yes, because um, obviously there was a uh, there was a lot going on with the uh, making of this film and uh, uh, how they came to the story they came to. However, there were things that I didn't know about uh, the making of this film that I learned mm-hmm. during my research of it. Oh boy! That I'm uh, I'm I'm excited to talk about because I think that there's some interesting stuff here. The first thing is that um, you know the uh, uh, Spider-Man Three was basically like the 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 development of it uh, began the day of the premiere of Spider-Man Two. Um, Jeez. <laughs> the the morning of the Spider-Man 2 premiere, Ivan Raimi, Sam's brother, uh, arrived in Los Angeles from Michigan and they went to Sam's office. They met in Sam's office and started breaking Spider-Man 3. Wow. And the reason that Ivan Raimi was here was because um, Ivan had worked on the other two. Spider-Man films, uh, specifically hmm. the comedy and more like Sam Raimi-ish bits, uh, sure. were were Sam and Ivan sort of working together. Um, this was something that I had not heard about until yeah. uh, until just reading about this. Um, but uh, they they decided that because the the two of them worked so well together, and because they really wanted to make sure that. You know, like with each sequel, you know, Sam, there's always the, 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 the chance that Sam could like break away and say, like, I'm, I'm going to go do something else. You know, like I'm bored of making Spider-Man movies, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the producers really wanted to make sure that Sam was fully on board with whatever sequel he was going to make. And so they were like, well, the best way to do that would be to bring Ivan in to work on the story with Sam. Uh, And so what they were going to be doing would be uh, to make a a treatment for Spider-Man 3 uh, together. And then that treatment would then be given uh, to uh, Alvin Sargent, who was given a seven-figure deal to write Spider-Man 3. Hey. Um, Yeah. Good old man. Yeah. (laughs) That was sort of the the order of operations there on the on the writing standpoint of things. Um, mm. Things start getting mixed up though because um, as the 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 treatment was happening, as they were breaking Spider Man three, they came to the conclusion that they they wanted the film to be about forgiveness and about Peter coming to the realization that um, the criminals that he's fighting are more uh, complex than what he'd always uh, believed that there's, there's more to every story. Right. And and that was sort of what their, their uh, main focus of this was, but they, they definitely wanted it to be primarily a story about forgiveness. They wanted it to be about how um, 
Peter is not without his faults and that uh, by going around New York being sort of, uh, you know, judge, jury and executioner, um, you know, he is part of the problem and that Mm. he needed to be more nuanced in the way that he was uh, doing what he did Uh, and that. You know, this was going to be a story about how, you know, New York had sort of accepted that Spider-Man was the best. And as a result, this had gone to Peter's head and that he believed that he was in the right all the time about everything. Right. Uh, And that this was going to be a story about sort of putting him in his place in that aspect. And that this theme was going to go was going to be sort of permeated through the story between uh, Peter and MJ, Peter and Harry, uh, you know, obviously Sandman and Peter, Sandman and Spider-Man and um, the Vulture and Spider-Man. OK. And so the idea was that the film was going to start with, uh, you know, what it normally does and then transition very early on into a tr- action sequence with the Vulture where uh, Spider-Man puts the Vulture away in prison. And while in prison, uh, the vulture and joins forces with um, Sandman to sort of, uh, and he is not the vulture yet. He's just um, Tombs. Yeah, he's just Tombs. Adrian Tombs. He's just a, a, a criminal. And uh, Adrian Tombs joins forces with Flint Marco in prison, and they break out of prison uh, because uh, basically, you know, Flint Marco has his reasons with. Um, his daughter and all of that. Right. Uh, but but with um, Adrian Toomes, his whole thing was just, I want revenge on Spider-Man. Like, he put me in prison. He stopped me from, from you know, doing this thing. And I hate him for it. And I want to put him down. I want to show the world that Spider-Man is not all that. Um, I want to show the world that uh, he's going to be the cause for all of these villains. He's the cause for everything. Yeah. Um, and that and so in order to do that, I'm going to become this supervillain, the vulture, and I'm going to put him in his place. I mean, that all tracks. Yeah. Like that's a, that's a solid base from which to build a uh, a third superhero outing. Right. Uh, yeah. And I mean, and the, and the thing about this was that it was going to be about how, um, you know, each villain was going to sort of represent like this, this other aspect of a thing. Right. Of, of, of mm. forgiveness. Right. It's it's that. You know, Harry is just like is sort of the window into how like Peter knows that there's more to Harry and more to the to the situation than Harry just being a villain. Right. Like he knows that, yes, he is the goblin, but like he needs to have patience with Harry. He needs to make him help him understand what he's doing is wrong. Right. And he knows that. Then you have Sandman, who is. Uh, the real killer of of Uncle Ben, which makes it very difficult for Peter to see the other side of things, right? And, right. and so it makes it very difficult for him to forgive this guy. Um, but he has to realize that there's more to this and eventually forgive this guy. And then you have Adrian Toomes, who is meant to represent what you could become if you never forgive anything, if you just let hate overcome you. And in do so doing, it would be eventually be his downfall. And so he is what ah. you could become if you choose to never forgive, if you just hold a grudge forever. Right. Wow. Yeah. And so that was that was the original intention for this film. Um, and that was the treat the initial treatment that they uh, that they wrote. Um, however, the problem that it, they came down to was that um it it the vulture thing sort of stuck out because while the the ending uh, uh, sticks the landing right mm-hmm. the the uh, getting to the ending was a little bit muddled because Adrian Toomes was so laser focused on the goal of you know getting rid of Spider Man or proving mm-hmm. that Spider Man was uh, not what he what he pretends to be right. Yeah. Um, and that it was sort of um, muddled in the middle because there was no growth there. There was no uh, forward momentum as far as, um, w- you know, what this character was, right? Like you had the initial yeah. 
break out of prison and then everything just sort of switched gears and became more about Sandman and about how Sandman was like waffling about about joining the vulture like he was really gung-ho at first because he wants to help his daughter and wants to see his daughter and give the da- his daughter the life that she deserves that he was never able to give to her mm-hmm. um but the vulture had nothing like the vulture was sort of like the main villain for the first quarter of the movie and then the rest of it became about sandman uh and then the vulture just sort of like you know dies in the end because he can't let go of his hate for spider-man and it was there just wasn't enough meat on that bone yeah there's like there's a disconnect between the function of the character on a thematic level and the function of them like as a person right like feeling like an unbelievable character in the world exactly okay. exactly so yeah and you know and but but the thing is is like vulture was definitely going to be a part of this story uh to the point where they were already casting um and the wow. the only person that they that they wanted they all agreed that they wanted um you know sam all the producers uh, even the other actors uh everyone wanted ben kingsley and ben kingsley came in uh wow. and and actually like discussed the part with sam and apparently he had this sort of incredible take on the character. I don't have a lot of detail on what that take was, but mm-hmm. but he had this incredible take on the character and that everyone was so fully on board with offering him the role as soon as the script was uh, solidified. But if, unfortunately, um, despite how great Ben Kingsley was, they just could not solidify the vulture in the script. And then they ended up going in another direction. And uh, Ben Kingsley um, obviously, uh, uh, you know, was not a part of this film as a result. Um, right. But but he was, you know, while he was not officially cast because, you know, there ended up not being a role to cast him in. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the guy and he was, you know, having you know, ongoing conversations with Raimi and, and Sony about playing this part uh, to the point where they sent him in to the costume designer to start designing costumes for him. Wow. Um, It was that far into it. And, and the vulture design in this was going to be um, the wings were basically going to be, uh, 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 you know, like a, like the equivalent of a prison shiv. Um, they, they were going to be wings that he just made out of stuff in the prison. Um, and in fact, the Adrian Toomes, uh, 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 storyline and that, that the start of this, uh, thing, cause what they were going to end up doing was that the opening with Adrian Toomes was going to be where Spider-Man was headed at the end of Spider-Man two. Uh, okay. And so that All was right. how they yeah. were going to jump forward in time was to basically show Adrian Toomes building these wings out of stuff that he finds in prison while being in prison for years. Nice. Um, and okay. that's how we were going to have this sort of uh, jump forward in time, um, which would have explained like how Mary Jane ends up the star in a musical, you know, and yeah. how uh, Harry like learns all of this, goes through all of this uh, research and development into becoming new goblin, you know? Yeah. All of this the, stuff the, was going to happen during that interim time jump. Whereas the movie, you know, as we see in the movie proper, it's sort of vague about how much time has gone by. Right. It's just like, hey, here I am. We're a bit right. further into this now. Right. Has it been <laughs> has it been three months? Has it been a year? Has it been five years? I don't know. Um, you know, it, it, who's to it's, say? It's it, yeah, it's kind of vague. It's very, very vague. Um, yeah. and this was going to be more more put that time period um you know, it, it solidify it in a way. Right. Um so so anyway, so that that's how far they got into this. And it was uh, it was it was definitely an interesting take on the character. It would have been an interesting thing. They were working on action sequences, all sorts of things. But again, thematically, the character worked for the overall story. But structurally, there wasn't a lot of meat on that bone. And yeah. and they needed to they needed to despite being the vulture. There was not a lot of meat on that bone. Um, uh, That's why you're scavenging it, yep, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, so the decision was made to drop the vulture, but they knew that they needed something more than just, 
New Goblin and um, and um, uh, Sandman. Sandman. Uh, yeah. They knew they needed something else, and then that's when Avi Arad suggested Venom. Who oh boy? And yeah. um, you know, Venom is a character that 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 Sandman had no interest in because he he did the research, like. You know, Avi described the Venom story to him, and and there were certain pits of it that Sam liked, but mm-hmm. when he went back and he researched the character of Eddie Brock, he was like, "There's nothing here." Yeah, he's just a big mean guy that doesn't like Peter. Right in in the comics, you right, know, right. Like, a lot's been done with Venom since then, but like at the time, looking at like the '90s comics, you know, Eddie Brock, it's the blonde mean guy. There's not. Right. What do you hang on that? Um, ideas wise right exactly um yeah. yeah i mean it was a it was a thing where you know he 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 perceived the character as having a lack of humanity which is what he didn't like about it because that's sort of the whole deal with his films or like they're very human right yeah and so the idea of having a character that was the opposite of that didn't really make sense to sam initially um yeah. however when he went back with uh, Ivan and really talked about it, he's well, the thing that he really started to like really kind of click into was the symbiote suit and how mm-hmm. that could fit into the narrative that they were building here about forgiveness and about, you know, specifically what they were wanting to do with Peter. Because one of the one of the difficult things was like he was worried a little bit about how unlikable. Peter was going to be in this story because of um, how big of a, a head they were going to be giving him about everything. Right. Right. And how they needed him to be making mistakes, but they were worried that if they, if they were having Peter make these sorts of mistakes, like would the audience forgive him? Would they still stay on his side? And right. what the symbiote costume allowed was uh, for Peter to make those mistakes, but without them being entirely his fault. Right. Like, we, we can't get to the point where, like, Peter is, you know, being super selfish and hurting people and, you know, domestic violence in a jazz club. Right. As traditional red and blue Pete, you know. Right. And still be there. But you can take the character that far if there's this not external, an external force representing the internal thing. Right. Well, and, so, and, yeah. and in fact, you can take it farther. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You, you can you yeah. can you can make him go even farther. If it's not entirely his fault, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because the audience is more is is going to be more forgiving of him because they know that he's being affected by this uh, external force. Right. Yeah. And this is like you talked about on Monday, where you it's hard to crack the nut of Venom as a villain. It's not as hard to crack the nut of the symbiote suit. Right. As the as the villain. Right. Exactly. So we, we don't have to jump all the way to, I, which I guess is what people wanted, but we don't have to jump all the way to the big scary monster guy for it to work as a story. Right. Um, but then it was actually Alvin Sargent who, upon hearing this idea of the symbiote and specifically what Sam was wanting to do with it and what their initial plans for the Vulture were, mm-hmm. that uh, Alvin Sargent had a take on Eddie Brock and he basically wrote up everything about what he thought the, the the Spider-Man 3 take on Eddie Brock would be. Like, how would we adapt this character and presented it to Sam? And then that's when Sam became fully on board with Venom. It was because wow. of Alvin's take on the character of right. Eddie Brock as a sort of, uh, you know, nega Peter. Right. Yeah. An anti-Peter Parker. Like, he represents everything, you know, the, the opposite of what Peter Parker is. It's like he's mm-hmm. not the meathead, you know, sleazy character that he is in the in the comics. He's a different kind of sleaze. He's yeah, uh, the sleaze, like, a, he's more of like a, you know, like an evil Peter Parker in a way. Like, a, like not not evil, but like just sort of, broken he's a right like a bad peter parker isn't going from our 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 nerdy photographer guy to a big jock blah person the bad peter parker is a our nerdy photographer boy but totally selfish and self-centered and creepy and that is better yeah like i I mean i know people love people love venom and, and they care a lot about him and you know we've had our whole you know venom episode to talk about 
the, the new take on the character that's out there these days. But I, if you take a step back from the cultural associations of Venom and just look at him as a character, that is a solid choice. Especially a character in this story. In this story, yeah. 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 Uh, you know, he there there is a way that you could have done the other version of Eddie Brock, but mm-hmm. he would have needed to be he would have needed to have his own movie, and he would it would have needed to be about something else. Right, um, it would have had to be an t- entirely different thing, and that isn't the movie that they were making. It's not the movie that Sam wanted to make. He wanted to make a movie about forgiveness, yeah. and this is where it ended up. And, and I think that it makes a lot of sense that they got to this point, that this is, this is where they ended up. It was basically Eddie Brock stepping in for where uh, Vulture was. Vulture was. Yeah. yeah. Um, and allowed for more forward momentum with the character throughout the film. Totally. Uh, a- along with sort of hooking directly into Peter being a jerk. And this, yeah. right? And so it all it all sort of plays out kind of exactly the way that it should be, right? Um, and the fact that Eddie isn't able to forgive Peter even after he f- is Venom and fully knows that the symbiote uh, is the reason that Peter was acting that way, yeah, it, it ends up being his downfall. Um, yeah. and it's kind of perfect in that way it is this sort of perfect thing of like this is the dangers of not being able to forgive um yeah and i think that what they did uh is actually kind of a smart take you know does it work moment to moment maybe not but i think it makes sense it does make all of these choices are totally understandable it's like i guess the, the thrust i keep coming back to when it comes to this movie uh, not all the movie works, but the choices are understandable. And honestly, is in the conceptual phase, really strong. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes leading all the way up into it. Um, Do you know how they specifically got Topher involved? Uh, that, that was their, the, he was their first go. Uh, wow. As soon as Alvin wrote that first treatment of what the Eddie Brock character should be, uh, I believe it was, I want to say, I think it was Avi Arad who said, wow. I just watched this movie with this kid, Topher Grace. I think he would play this part really well um, for what we're doing with the character. And everyone unanimously agreed immediately. And they yeah. brought him in and he didn't know why he was there for Spider-Man 3. Um, oh, gosh. In fact... You know, a part of him wondered if he was coming in to talk about replacing Tobey Maguire because the, everyone right. knew what happened in Spider-Man 2, right? They almost lost Tobey Maguire almost, yeah. and cast Jake Gyllenhaal. And so Tover Grace like thought, oh, is this going to be another situation like that? Am I just playing like this I, I, or am I just playing like a super minor role? He didn't know what he was there for. Wow. And then they started talking about Venom and Raimi kept inferring that like if we end up going in this direction we think that you would be a really good take on this character like what would you want to do with the character and Tover Grace uh, lost his mind because Eddie Brock <laughs> is one of his favorite comic book characters of all time like Venom is one of his favorite comic book characters of all time it's the those are the comics that he read the most like anytime he, yeah. he said that anytime he saw a comic with Venom on the cover, he would buy that comic when he was a kid because he was just he loved that character. And yeah. the idea he's been he'd been waiting forever to see that character on screen. And the idea that he would be the one to get to play it blew his mind. Totally. Um, so he was just ecstatic to play this part. I just ah, oh. we, we talked about it on the um the, the the episode where we did the trailers, but like I, I just really want to like give Topher Grace a hug or something. Yeah. Like I just, I just Yeah. He you did good, buddy. It's not it's not your fault. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it it's he did good with the take on the character that they were doing. Totally. Um yeah. he did a really good job. So that's how they got, you know, Eddie Brock into the into the proceedings. Mm-hmm. However, when this was happening, uh Sam, Ivan, and Alvin all came to the conclusion, all came to the same conclusion, which was that this movie needs to be uh, Sandman, the black suit and Eddie Brock 
and and New Goblin in movie one, and then movie mm-hmm. two should be Venom, more New Goblin, and Spider-Man in the second film. Oh, uh, yeah. They're like, it needs to be, it needs to be one, it needs to be a two-parter, essentially. And they were working under this, uh, under this assumption, and they wrote a treatment based on this, that they, they would shoot Spider-Man 3 and 4 back-to-back, um, and that it would be Black Symbiote leading into Venom in uh, 4. Totally. And the problem uh, was that they could not come up with a narrative device, a climax for the uh, first half for the end of Spider-Man 3 into 4 that felt uh, narratively satisfying. Um, And Laura, (laughs) Avi, and even Kevin Feige were all sort of like weird about it like as far as like ah that that, i don't know we can't figure out a way to make the first part of this satisfying in any way and so we don't think it's going to be a good idea because the way that the treatment originally ended was it ended with uh peter realizing that the symbiote was having an effect on him um after uh fighting Spider-Man and then or fighting Sandman and then going to the church, getting rid of it, it falling on Eddie and then Eddie yeah. leaping toward the camera as Venom cut to credits. Ah, yeah. Um, and obviously there were a lot of other changes story wise sure, yeah. um, in there as well. Uh, uh, as far as differences, it wouldn't literally be what Spider-Man three was up to that point. There would have been right. um, a lot more uh, stuff, but they could not figure out a way to make the third act um, narratively satisfying, uh, in a way that people would uh, yeah, feel what is your cheated climax? Yeah. 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 Where, where it's not going to feel like, Oh, I guess we just stopped the movie now. Right. Um, <laughs> I like that they cared about that. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm just thinking now about like the Hobbit movies or something oh, yeah. where <laughs> we'll just, we'll just chop off a story where wherever, and you're going to feel terrible about it. Yay. Yeah. But like, we'll see like, you next no, year. It won't. <laughs> They're like, no, it won't work as a movie. So how do we go from there? Right. Okay. So so that happened, and then so then uh, Sam and Ivan wrote a new treatment that w- made both films into one film, and then together with Alvin Sargent, uh, they went back and forth, and they wrote a draft of Spider-Man Three that was one hundred and fifty-eight pages. Um, and it was it was not it was not a a draft. When I say it was a draft, this was a complete draft of Spider Man Three. This was you know six or seven drafts in, and this was yeah. this was the 158 page Spider Man Three script. And wow. everyone read it, everyone loved it, but because of the length, it was too expensive. And everyone <sighs> said like they were like you know all the research that I've read about I've read on this take this version of this script was that this movie was better than Spider-Man two. It had so much character and all of the plot threads connected perfectly. People were saying that despite being 158 pages, you could, you know, bounce a quarter off of this script. It was so tight. (sighs) Um, (sighs) They're like, it was so tight. This was a great script. But it would have cost like three hundred to three twenty five, and that was just yeah. right. That was just unheard of at at this point. <laughs> and they're like, "Look, we we have no problem making the most expensive film ever made, but maybe not by like a hundred and twenty five million dollars." <laughs> um, it was too. It was too much, and they decided to bring it down and lose twenty five pages. And wow. in doing so, we get the script that we ended up with in the movie. Right. Um, the movie that right. they shot was this the version of that script that they cut 25 pages out of. Um, and uh, it, it turns it messy and thing it lost all subtlety. And things get rushed and obvious right. in that way. Yeah. Right. Um, and unfortunately, that's where a lot of the quality was lost was in that where Change. that happened. Uh, yeah. I would love to get my hands on that 158 page draft of this script. Uh, mm. I don't know where it exists. I don't know how to find it. 
Um, I, the only place that I could think of that it exists is like the Sony archives, uh, which I don't have access to as much as I'd like to, um, <laughs> anyone listening to this works at Sony and wants to send me that script. Uh, I would be forever in your debt because I would love to read it and reference it throughout this. Um, because yeah, my understanding is that this script was the script and this is the one that it, it's the one they should have shot. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately they cut 25 pages out of it and lost all of the subtlety, all of the um, a lot of a lot of character moments, uh, and even like a few action sequences that made everything uh, come together a little more cleanly, including a lot of the explanation of what exactly the symbiote is, what it's doing, and how it connects to um, uh, Eddie Brock versus Peter. Like right. what that what the what the relationship between the symbiote and its host is, um, mm-hmm. all of that stuff is cut out, and it just turns the symbiote into a sort of like very one dimensional concept, goo villain, goo villain yeah. concept. Yeah. Um, instead of the more three dimensional living being that it was in the 158 page version of this. Yeah, um, and it, it it might be hard to. I, I'm just thinking about the fact that we're recording this like after Avengers Endgame and the you know the big the big experiment of the MCU has been like concluded, uh, and we're looking at this film that was going into production right before that started, and there's there's this sadness I'm feeling, which is that in like 2019 it wouldn't be crazy to like go all out and have a movie that is absolutely huge and really commits to these like earnest character beats in amongst the biggest superhero action that's ever been made, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. That's, that's not a, a risk that anybody is, af- uh, would be afraid of, but at the time it could, it was just untenable. Yeah. Like that movie could have worked. Yeah. And it's, it's not even a slight remote possibility that it could have worked. We've, we've now lived in a world where bigger and crazier versions of that have been done to you know, the biggest financial success of all time. Mm-hmm. I know at recording, it's just about on par with Avatar, but you know, like there, we just weren't in the era yet, I guess. But, but, but it is of a different time. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like we were talking earlier in the week about how this is a throwback type of film to this like new era we were entering into re- with regards to the, um, the dark nightification of everything. But we came back to this sort of stuff with the the end of the MCU, yeah. and and it was the the strength of it was there all along. That's just what makes me sad. Yeah, one of the main things that they uh, took out of this uh, script was the relationship to um, addiction and yes, and how uh, the the symbiote suit is an addiction for Peter, um, yeah. and that's not something that's something that is like sort of barely grazing the surface of mentioning in the movie it's it's not it's not quite there the 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 idea of you know if you're nothing without the suit you don't deserve it you know it, it's that <laughs> it's that sort of thing it's like it, it but it's like sort of the dark version of that of like oh i was i was nothing without this suit and it's like what do you mean yeah. that's the guy everybody loves was the guy yeah. in that in the other Spider-Man. suit without that yeah. suit that's the guy that like that, you know, got all of the accolades that 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 you're so uh, you're loving so much, not this black suit thing. Um, yeah. And that that sort of arc, that emotional arc for Peter of like realizing that he's addicted to this suit and making the connection between his addiction to it and the way that it's making him act all of that sort of coalesces into him realizing he needs to get rid of it um wow. and all of that is sort of trimmed back so far to the bare minimum that it just barely scrapes by on making sense <laughs> yeah it's i i don't know if tragic is the right word but it feels tragic yeah uh that well stories are tricky things and if you get one totally working so many of these pieces are interlocking and fitting together in such a way that like chopping a chunk out of it, you don't go from a, a good, you don't go from a great movie to like a pretty good one. You go from a great movie to a movie that feels like it doesn't work. Right. Not to say that's the same thing as being a terrible piece of shit movie. Cause that's not what this is. 
at all. But it is, I think, where that weird feeling happens. And that weird feeling when you're watching something and it doesn't quite fit. Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, it was a very, very different, um, very different thing. Uh, yes. You know, it, it was, and it's, and it's very, it's very unfortunate. Um, it's, you know, it was even a, uh, you know, the, even, even the, even the suit being, uh, black and white sort of like fit the theme of, of the movie, which is that, you know, uh, Peter is seeing the world in black and white in that, like there are good people and there are bad people period. And right. And, this, and then you have to see things in color yeah, with more yeah, yeah, nuance. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's so like all everything, everything really works thematically and um, fits together well. It's just unfortunate that they cut out a lot of the uh, a lot of the stuff that makes it all cohesive in a in a stronger way, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, and then as far as um, uh, Thomas Hayden Church. Uh, he got involved. Basically, they they had they came up with a list of sixty three actors who uh, could possibly play Sandman. Uh, oh wow! They went through two of them, and then uh, Laura Ziskin was like, "All right, we haven't gotten to him yet, but um, Thomas Hayden Church, like that's yeah. that's who we want. That's who we think should play this part." And Sam, who had um, almost cast him in The Gift, was very ecstatic at this idea immediately upon. Uh, hearing it because he'd wanted to work with him for a long time. And, uh, you know, uh, church had just done sideways sideways and everyone really liked him in that. Uh, And they felt that he had the ability to do the things that he needed to do in this, which was that he needed to be uh, this sort of, um, he needed to be as intimidating as uh, sort of soft and emotional. And he needed to be able to balance those things and they felt that he was the the guy for it and cast him right away. The the casting for the this movie, like all of these roles, it was sort of like a lot of times it was like one and dones where it was like they yeah. knew exactly who they wanted and then they got them. And it just fit right in yeah. sort of like uh like Kismet or Serendipity yeah. or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. So Yeah, a lot of these casting stories is that it was almost like uh serendipitous i guess is is a way to put it i don't know yeah. maybe that's too yeah just that the the concept for the character came up and then the right actor was was just there maybe that's part of just the fact that the projects were so successful at this point that it wasn't hard to get as hard to get people to agree to do a spider-man yeah i think i was well, and i think that um i i think for like like for someone like ben kingsley right seeing mm-hmm. alvar molina in the last film he right. probably was like, oh, well, he looks like he had fun, you know? <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I want to have fun. No, there's uh, a lot of room to do cool stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, so you know, I think I think that's part of it. I think, you know, Thomas Hayden Church was, like, excited to be in, like, a big movie. Like, Topher Grace was, you know, a big fan yeah. of these movies and of comics and Venom in general. And, you know, it was, uh, I, I, I think that they were at the height of their powers at this point. Um, in totally. the industry, and they could have really gotten anybody they wanted for anything. Yeah, and um, and they they got some great choices, I think. I mean, we 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 talked about why Topher was um, appropriate for it, but I think a thing that's like that I like to think about when it comes to Topher is I, I feel like coming up to this movie is like the ideal pie in the sky dream career path, mm-hmm. which is that the way Topher Grace got, you know established obviously is that 70s show right but he got cast in that tv show while he was still uh, a student in college he was at usc and he had done like some acting here and there and had like uh he had done these like big play productions back in uh, new england like he went to one of those like prep schools where they put a lot of effort and and energy and money into their theater program so the you know the high school plays are kind of a big deal so like he just had there happened to be um, producers whose kids also went to that school or something that had seen him in a play when he was in high school and was he was able to um, audition for that 70s show based on on that you know just like a you know a, a connection that is unfair obviously but that is like delightful for the actor this idea that you're working on acting you audition for something while you're still a student and then you get on this show it's a total hit and then you go right from that into being offered 
a role in a movie about the character that you love from the comics you read and you get to play your favorite villain. Like that, that trajectory is, is fascinating to me because he basically did that 70s show from, he dropped out of school to do it. So that's how his career started. And then he did a couple small projects in the, in the off season. Cause you know, like you, you film a season of television, like six months out of the year, maybe, maybe nine months, depending on how many episodes you're doing. Mm -hmm. And then you have a bit of off time and then you come right back into it. Mm -hmm. And pretty much all that he had done was a small part in Mona Lisa smile, which was, you know, not a huge movie, but big enough that was involved. And he, you know, got out there and that was, I'm a working actor. I'm learning about my craft at work. And I do a small movie on the side in the off season. And because I did that movie, producers want me to do Spider-Man three. And then you come in and do that. Like that's, that's so cool. I think. Yeah. Had he, had he not done uh, win a date with Tad Hamilton yet? Um, that was a small, let's see, I I can scroll back and double check. Um, Tad Hamilton. Yes. So that was 2004. So that was at the same time Spider-Man two came out. So he did Mona Lisa smile and then Tad Hamilton, um, kind of on in subsequent breaks during the shooting of that 70s show. So 2002, he did Mona Lisa smile to be released in 2003 Mm -hmm. In 2003, he did Tammet Hamilton to be released in 2004. Right. Yeah. And then he did uh, PS and in good company. Um, yeah. It was in good company that uh, actually that's the movie that they oh, gave. Oh, that's the one. That's the oh, movie okay. they gave Sam to watch and told him like it's this. To so, like get a sense of this guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, and then uh, he was fully on board for right um, this uh, this uh, Topher Grace take on uh, Eddie Brock. Yeah, which is fascinating, and he he loved it so. <laughs> so much yeah like i i i uh, read a little interview with him where he was talking about his like first days on set where some of the first shot he stuff was daily bugle things which we'll get to in the, in the film but just that the idea of looking around and seeing the actors in the movie the movies that he loved about spider-man mm-hmm. he was like yeah i've been an actor for a little while but it was the first time i felt like hey they, they're letting you be in the movies kid like mm-hmm. <laughs> Like they extended a hand out to you and here you are. Well, um, and, it, and it probably, it must've felt very, um, you know, it must've felt very different from a acting perspective because like, you know, going from a multicam sitcom to a giant blockbuster yeah, must be such a change of pace. Totally. Yeah. Um, the, to be used to like, you have your like one small set and then a couple side ones per episode to, I think they they had more sound stages at Sony working for Spider-Man three than they'd ever had for one particular movie before. Yeah, and these enormous, giant sets with water tanks and all this exploding stuff, and just like, yeah, man, this is you. Come <laughs> be in makeup for four hours and be a be a bad guy. Why not? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just I th- revisiting Spider-Man three just makes me. Feel for Topher Grace is basically what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, the other, the other new folks, uh, Thomas Hayden Church, obviously, um, the bit, the thing everybody knew him from was Sideways because he gave such a wonderful performance in that. He had the previous relationship with Sam, and um, the thing he always jokes about is <laughs> before Sideways and Spider Man, uh, the only thing people really knew me for was George of the Jungle, which is <laughs> that's not true. People knew him from Wings. <laughs> <laughs> like you might have seen this guy in George of the Jungle. Um but, you know, he's he's one of those he's a character actor with a fantastic face and this like um you know, he's a handsome guy but like leading man stuff doesn't always fly when you like have this I, he just has this like wonderful craggy interesting face. Yeah, yeah, so I mean, he, he looks he looks like a dude that's been punched a lot. Like that's Yes, yeah. yes, that's it. So it's like it's why for a while it's like, okay, maybe you'll have like a small part in this Western or maybe you'll play like the jerk in the movie where Brendan Fraser is the guy we root for, you know, the, the Billy Zane of it all. But it, it might take a while before you're like taken seriously as a, a performer performer. Mm-hmm. And that's what, well, I mean, and he was, you know, small bits in Spanglish and stuff like that. But when he got around to doing Sideways with Paul Giamatti, it was such a injection of life into his career opportunities after that. Yeah. Mostly 
not that it's always led to great things for him, but that's how he ended up in this wheelhouse. When if you could have anybody, Thomas Hayden Church is up there. Right. That, that's like a really cool moment, I think, in his um, development as as an actor. And not for nothing, I think he's great in the picture. So yeah, I'm look, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing seeing what he does. Yeah. Um, Bryce Dallas Howard again. In case people don't know, she's Ron Howard's daughter. Uh, and that's, we know her these days from like the Jurassic World movies and stuff and the help and whatnot. But at the time, she was just a young actress up and coming. Like before her M. Night Shyamalan movies, she was mostly just like doing small parts in her dad's films, like where you throw your kid a bone right. and uh, put them in your movie. Right. But it was, it was really um, Lady in the Water in the Village that like put her on, on the map, as it were, for casting directors and people and whatnot. Yeah. And apparently for, for this film, she wasn't actually going to audition for it. She came in for a general meeting, like a, we're considering some people for this role. Let's see if you might be in and around there. And she had some, she'd known Toby from something. I, the interview that, that I found, they didn't mention what, what from, but he was at least familiar with her as a person. And they weren't worried about her ability to like act in general. They were mostly worried about chemistry because that's the thing with when you're, when you're casting the Gwen Stacy to Spider-Man, uh, you the most the thing you're most worried about is how do they work with your Peter Parker? Not is this a, a version of Gwen that's exactly like the comics? Is this um, the most any particular adjective you aim for? You aim for somebody that works well with your main actor. So they weren't really when they're reading people for Gwen. A lot of times they weren't actually doing like traditional scene auditions. They were just like chemistry meetings with the main producers, Sam, Laura Ziskin, and and Toby, and um, just reading with them. And apparently they had um, Bryce Dallas Howard come in and just to talk. And like halfway through the meeting, Laura Ziskin was like, you know what? Why don't we actually just have you read? Can you try that? And gave her an audition scene that she had no time to prep for. And she went and looked it over for 10 minutes, came back in, and then read with Toby. And when she left that meeting, they were like, yeah, that's her. Yeah. Like divorced from the the idea of like how people receive this movie and how they they feel about it there is a certain magic to assembling a cast and everything seeming like it's aiming in the right direction Mm -hmm. and from from what i can tell this it seems like this went as smoothly as it can go for a project this big yeah 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 i mean they had an extra year to work yeah which uh which which was a big change obviously for Mm -hmm. the second one it's, you know, it just, it all kind of fell the way that it, I mean, it should have, you know, like, I don't yeah. think anyone is miscast in this movie. No, for, for what they're doing and the relationships they need to have in this movie, um, everybody's working great. Yeah. Um, I will say, I think that, um, I do think that it is a mistake to have Gwen Stacy in this movie. Uh, yes. Um, I don't think, I don't think there's any need for that i don't think there's any need for her to be gwen stacy i i I understand the purpose of the character in in it but it does feel a little uh fan servicey in like a bad way right Uh, like we got rid of the need for gwen stacy when we redid our approach to mary jane right you know right so uh, yeah we're we're taking a step I don't know if backwards is the right way to phrase it, but like, yeah, it, it doesn't, it doesn't really, it's not, it's just not a necessary, uh, addition to the film. To um, the film. I don't, yeah. I don't think, and I, I don't think it really adds a lot to it thematically either. Um, yeah. I, I, I almost wonder if she had more of a role in that 158 page version Mm-hmm. Um, I almost wonder if instead of that jazz club scene, if we had something more like Peter in the black suit being not like directly, like, uh, indirectly responsible for like Gwen Stacy's death or oh, her yeah. father's death. Um, something like that, it, something like that. And maybe they, they cut all of that out because then, then it's like, okay, now I understand why you used Gwen Stacy. You know, right, but in right. the version of the film that we got, I don't know why that needs to be Gwen Stacy. Yeah, the only difference I know of is like some cryptic allusions to they removed some scenes with Captain Stacy, her father, uh-huh. and originally she was going to be the um, damsel in peril at the end of the film. 
Oh. Instead of MJ. Interesting. But the, I, there's no like firm anything along that. That's just what in the the same interview I've been I've been touching base with. That's that's all they've said. God, that makes of, so much more sense, right? That like whether or not you have like a Captain Stacy death or something going on, but that this girl is in danger and we have to help her, even though I don't know. But, well, well, it makes more sense that that uh, Eddie would kidnap her, right? Especially yeah. especially in the version of the movie that we got, because we never establish why uh, Eddie Brock knows everything that he knows. Like we never establish that the symbiote carries memories from host to host. Yeah, like, like that. We can infer that, but it's not actually in the movie. No, so. there's no text. Yeah in the movie saying that that's what happens. Uh, So it doesn't make sense that he would know that Mary Jane was Peter's uh, girlfriend or love interest or whatever. Like it doesn't really play from Eddie's perspective. He's into the girl that he, that Eddie is into that it's Gwen. Right. Um, So yeah. Any like any venom Spider-Man like conflict would be more focused on her. Yeah. You would think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Um, oh, man. And then MJ could have been the one to go to Harry to bring him yeah, into the Yeah, to fight get him on board. Instead yeah. of Houseman. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Um, anyway. Anyway. Um, so that's that's where, the, where the, the, the behind the scenes of the new characters. I have some stuff on what our like main trio were up to in between the movies. Um, I feel like this episode is... <laughs> a little long. Yeah. I don't know if we should save that for tomorrow. So maybe we'll do that tomorrow. Sure, sure. That, okay. that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. Well, uh, lots of information here. Um, hopefully you guys are already understanding that Spider-Man 3 is a more uh complex movie than uh, <laughs> uh o- almost as if Spider-Man 3 is a film that you cannot view in black and white uh <laughs> and uh ultimately uh need to learn to forgive. Um beautiful, yes. <laughs> Uh, but that's all we got here. Uh, duelinggenre.com slash merch takes you to our T public store. Uh, go check that out. If, uh, you want to get some t-shirts and stuff, I'm sure we'll have our new logo up there, uh, already. If not, uh, if it's not already there, it will be soon. Uh, so, uh, check that out. Our new logo from, uh, Kevin Ziegler, check that out. That's duelinggenre.com slash merch. Everything you buy there, we get a little, a little piece of, uh, of the sale um, and you can buy anything in T public through that link and we will get a little piece. So um, do all your T public shopping at duelinggenre.com slash merch. And uh, we will be back tomorrow with minute three. Goodbye. Bye everybody. Bye. <laughs>